Hi guys, Carrie here from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Welcome to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. I am here today with Dr. Nadia Fakori. And I'm sorry, I crushed it. Yes. Crushed it. You got the name pronunciation perfect. Amazing. She is a chiropractor who also focuses on the perinatal stage for for women and also pediatric care for babies and for kids. So I've been so excited to do this interview because I peruse her Instagram and I'm just, I want to know so much about what she knows. So I'm going to ask all the questions that hopefully you guys also want to know, and then we're going to get a lot out of this episode. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Carrie. I'm excited to be a guest on your podcast. I appreciate the invitation to share. Starting off really strong. And let's start off at the uh, the source. Let's go for the pelvis. Let's go for the let's pelvis. Let's start you with know? the pelvis. Okay, so um, in any order you want to talk about symphys- uh, uh, pubis dysfunction. Wait, pubis? Says, uh, you, you, you get yes. dysfunction, <laughs> SPD. Um, or you can just call it the pubic bone or pubic joint. Um, so your pelvis itself is made up of... Um, we'll call it two big bones. You have your hips on either side or your iliac crest. They come together and join at the pubic symphysis in the front with a small cartilage joint between them. And then in the back, you have your sacrum and where your sacrum, the triangle bone, sometimes it's referred to as your tailbone, where that meets the two back parts of your hip. That's your sacroiliac or SI joint. And the pelvis itself is, um, it's dynamic. It moves. And during pregnancy, you have the relaxing hormone, which I'm sure all of your followers are hopefully familiar with, but it's a hormone that's produced during pregnancy. And it just helps the body to naturally expand, loosen, widen. So something that comes along with that is some laxity or ligament looseness. So um, if there's misalignments of the pelvis, if something has kind of gotten stuck, whether it's from an injury pre-pregnancy, if it's from postural, if it's from the position we're sleeping in, it could be um, a fall or something that's happened during pregnancy that could have shifted these bones out of place and create some stress anywhere in the pelvis, whether it's in the front at the pubic symphysis, it's in the back of the tailbone, the hips. So um, with chiropractic, what we're really doing is checking on how the alignment of the pelvis is. Are, is the sacrum pushed back in such a way that's creating muscular tension? Is that impacting how the ligaments of the uterus are also functioning? Because the uterus is anchored to the pelvis by a series of ligaments. And if the pelvis is rotated and misaligned, how is that impacting the muscles and the ligaments which are attached to the pelvis? So for some women, if they're having pain in the pubic bone, um, it could be ligament-based, it could be misalignment-related, but having mm-hmm. an assessment by a trained perinatal or pregnancy-focused chiropractor, physiotherapist, um, PT, are all great resources for you to um to evaluate because I think more often than not things are swept under 
the guise of, oh, this is normal pregnancy, this is normal pain. And although mm-hmm. pain is very common, it's actually not normal. Um, it's normal for your body to feel good and fluid and adapt to the stresses that it's under. And yes, pregnancy is a time where there may be more stress, not necessarily negative stress, but more stress on the body. And um, making sure that we're not just ignoring signs that our body are reaching, like our body, when there's pain, it's a signal for us to listen to it. And when I think we get into an area of saying, oh, this is normal for pregnancy, then we are kind of avoiding or ignoring a signal that our body is trying to get us to pay attention to. Okay. So I actually had some um, pain in my first trimester and it turned out my hips were, went out of alignment. So if I came to you and I was like, uh, I'm having pain in the back kind of where, you know, my tailbone is. So SI joint pain, round ligament pain, and then SPD, mm-hmm. how would you be able to tell which one of those it is. And then what's the treatment for any one of these three? Because I feel like they could easily be, be um, misdiagnosed for the other. And just doing a full assessment is really where it starts correlating that with their history. If they're saying I'm having pain when rolling over in bed and I feel it right here, low in the front of my pelvis, or sometimes they're pointing right to their groin. That's giving me an indicator of what muscles may be overworked, what joints may be inflamed or irritated. And the assessment is really where everything happens. It's hard to know over the phone. For me, it's hard to know really over Zoom until I'm doing a hands-on assessment and checking in with their alignment, their muscle tone from side to side, their ligament tone from side to side. But in general, the, the, approach that I would do is similar. It's creating balance in those joints, releasing tight muscles or tight ligaments just to help create more symmetry and balance. Can I ask you, so SPD, is that correct for the shorthand? That is, yeah. Or you can just call it pubic pubic pain or... Pubic pain. Is that, is, is... SI joint pain just a symptom of SPD or is it completely different? And I'm just confused about it. Yeah, well, your SI joints are in the back of your pelvis. That pubic joint where SPD occurs is in the front. The two are not entirely independent of each other. Um, okay. where, where one, if the SI joint is inflamed or irritated in the back, if you're feeling SI, sacroiliac joint pain, um, it's not unlikely, it's, it's common rather that it could be impacting your pubic bone. Does that mean that everyone who has pain in their SI joint is also going to notice pain in the pubic joint? Not necessarily, but um, there, it's hard to impact one without also impacting the other. So there are times when I I'm see. working with someone and I'll say, any tenderness here or you know, before we even work together, any pain in the pubic bone, they'll say no. As I'm assessing them and go and actually check their pubic bone, they'll say, oh, well, now I notice it to the touch. Or some people will say, no, it still feels good, but I'll feel that if there's a slight misalignment. So I'll still do a gentle correction, even though there may or may not be pain associated at that level. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, it does. And for all those people out there who hear about round ligament pain, 
Can you talk about what exactly that is? Like which ligament is growing and stretching and why does that pain feel like it does? Because I was also very confused by it. Yes, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So, oh, amazing. <laughs> the round ligaments are um, ligaments in the front of the uterus, the uterine ligaments, and they attach to the pelvis. For some people, the round ligaments attach around the level of the pubic bone. For other people, another normal variation is that they actually will attach at the level of the labia and so be kind of embedded there. When it comes to pregnancy, these ligaments will grow drastically as the uterus grows. So non-pregnant, we could estimate that these ligaments are about four inches in a non-pregnant body. During pregnancy, they can grow anywhere, you know, 14, 16 inches and sometimes more. So they are really expanding and growing alongside your uterus. And one of the super cool things about these ligaments that I kind of geek out on is that they're some of the only ligaments in the body that contain muscle fibers. So most ligaments are just, um, you know, connective tissue, but the round ligaments, in addition to being connective tissue, like every other ligament in your body, they have smooth muscle cells built into them. And so they will actually have the ability to contract when the uterus is contracting to help produce more effective and efficient contractions. So Mm. the cool thing is, is that they are so dynamic, but just like any muscle, they have the ability to have a trigger point or get tense or be twisted or need to be worked out. And they are doing a lot of work during your pregnancy, supporting your uterus. So one of the chiropractic, um, techniques that people really seek out when they're pregnant is called the Webster technique. And um, there are, if you are not in Los Angeles and you are just looking to find a prenatal chiropractor in your area, you can look to see um, a database of chiropractors who are Webster certified. And that's through the ICPA or International Chiropractic Pediatric Association. But anyways, the Webster technique looks at the pelvis alignment and will always address the pelvic alignment in addition to around ligament release because if the pelvis is misaligned, that ligament can be pulled unevenly from side to side. And you can almost think of your uterus as a hot air balloon and the round ligaments acting as two tethers to the pelvis. Now, if one side of the pelvis is misaligned, it's going to pull on that tether and can put some twist or tension or torsion in the uterus. So by making sure the pelvis is adjusted and aligned and releasing any tension in the round ligament, we're working to help make sure the uterus is as balanced as possible and and so is the pelvis. And that will help make sure that if there's a restriction and the baby is in a strange position or maybe tilted in such a way or in a breech position, chiropractors don't directly help breech babies get head down, but by doing these techniques and creating balance, creating more space and more potential for the baby to have gravity bring them down, oftentimes it will happen just because we're removing an inherent restriction that may be inhibiting them from having the most amount of space possible. Wow. That is so interesting. Goodness. And how many, 
people actually know about this? That's a good <laughs> I feel question. Like most, well, I mean, I know people in your, in your field do, but like regular women out there. I think one of the intentions, I have such a love hate relationship with social media, but I, one of the things that I'm very motivated by is just trying to do my little part of educating in whatever way I yeah. can and spreading awareness because I think that this ideally should be common knowledge because we know how beneficial it can be to helping create an easier, comfortable pregnancy, less stress, more comfort. Um, that's going to translate into how birth goes and labor. And then on the other end, how your birth and labor goes will ultimately help your postpartum recovery, how you're bonding with your baby and all these things. So it's not, I'm not saying that chiropractic is a solution to all of these things, but we know how it can positively impact these different touch points and how global response that in itself can be. Well, and definitely like as a supportive, as a supportive element during the prenatal phase, because my population, my affection, I am very affectionate with my population of very athletic women. And I feel like there's just not enough of that type of support around the prenatal stage. Absolutely. Because, you know, you go into your OB and they have their job to do and they just, you know, they're, they're worried about the fetus. That, that is what the sessions are usually geared at, just making sure that all those vitals and things are checking normal. And then the conversation yeah. is just kind of like, well, if those things are normal, the assumption is everything We're, else should be a-okay. Right, right, huh. right. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so is this Webster certification? It's a Webster certification yes. for chiro- chiropractors. Is this an international thing? It is. It is. It's okay. um, hosted by an international organization, and you can um, go on the ICPA website and find a chiropractor in your area just by searching your zip code. Amazing. That's wonderful because um, I know that there's aerialists all over the world that might get this resource, and of course, they're not going to be in LA like we are. So hopefully, they'll be able to find somebody close to them. Yes. Okay. So if if I were to use my fingers to touch my round ligament, could I? You could. Yes. Um, they. How would I find that? It's a great question. Um, it reminds me of when I was my first quarter of chiropractic school, and they would say, like, feel the spine, and you would just be, like, with another student just pressing your hands, like, really firmly to try to find the points they're point like they're telling you landmarks. Then it came to the point where with just more – comfort in doing it, you can just pick up on these things very easily. So if you, if we go through this activity and, you know, all the, all the bellies out there are being touched, looking for these round ligaments. And if you're not able to directly really feel it, that's okay. It's really a sensation of touch and acuity that is developed over time. Sometimes they're more obvious than not, but I would say if you are, if you find the front of your hip bone, so kind of trace underneath your ribs and you'll find the two kind of bony, bony parts of your top of your hip. You can also find it. Your, by, I, your, your ice, your ASIS. Your ASIS. That's Correct. the word. Yes. Your anterior yeah. superior, superior iliac spine. I haven't said that all the way out loud in a little while, but that's your ASIS. <laughs> okay. Um, from there, if you go diagonal towards your belly button, you in that somewhere in that 
general quadrant will be your round ligaments. Now, as the uterus grows during pregnancy, the orientation of them changes. But I tell moms and pregnant people when they are experiencing round ligament pain, if they just take their hands from their ASIS and put their fingers towards their belly button and just do general self-massage there, that's helpful. I know some parents are concerned like, what if I'm doing it wrong? What if I'm doing the wrong side? What if I'm being harmful? More often than not, just doing some breath work and intentional massage in that general area is going to help relax the fascia and do something beneficial. Uh, but when I'm working with the round ligament, I'm, you know, really able to kind of find what feels almost like a road bump and kind of just trail that ligament out with the breath and help to do a really gentle release. So it's a little bit harder to find, I think, on yourself if you haven't touched a lot of bodies, but if you are just doing general massage from your top of your hip bone, the ASIS, in towards the belly button, just bringing some deep breath and intention there, you're, you're doing a good thing. I'm geeking out. I'm a, I'm a corrective... <laughs> a corrective body worker myself. Okay. And, um, I wish I hadn't. So, okay. So a couple of reasons I'm geeking out just because that's like my field, but I, I can now understand why that pain is so intense sometimes when it stretches, because it's, it's basically at the diameter of this big beach ball that you have. And then as you grow bigger, is it the, is it lower? Does it go lower and lower? It usually gets closer and closer to the pubic bone. Like okay, it, okay. It, that's what I'm imagining. angle change. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but still, that's a lot of stretch because for me, I'm a pretty petite woman with not a long torso. Mm-hmm. My baby was like living outside of my body because I had no room. Totally. But I had no space. So, I mean, the picture of me the day or two before I gave birth. I mean, I, I was all belly. I just, I was so far out in the front and I had a lot of that short like or round ligament pain. So yes, it's all coming together in my mind. A lot of the women I work with tend to have like shorter torsos. Um, and so I find that doing work with them throughout their pregnancy is really great to help just try to maintain as much space as possible and loosen things just to take advantage of what space is there? Um, and that's another thing. Some people will ask me often, you know, what point should I start working with someone, a chiropractor during my pregnancy? And to be honest, if we were to work with people preconception, that would be an ideal mm. world because there are mm-hmm. already a lot of these patterns um, in the way we hold ourselves and muscle memory and compensation and um, maybe irregularities in tone. Maybe some people have too much tone where like a Kegel or a pelvic contraction would be like not productive for them. So maybe we would spend some time helping them release some things and become more, um, not necessarily lose tone, but just become more in touch with how they can get the full range of motion out of their body. And, And so preconception would be great. Not everyone's has that awareness yet. If people are able to come earlier, it's better because by the time the bump is already there and you're, you know, 30 plus weeks pregnant, we'll do great work. But if we were able to just do some of this foundational work before the body's gone through that big 
change, it would be ideal. Yeah. And for this population, you know, we're a bunch of aerialists, super, super athletic women. Um, I kind of feel like this whole Kegel thing is a setup Mm -hmm. for not being successful because even with my body, I learned postpartum that I was way too tight and my muscles didn't even know how to relax right through my pelvic PT. So because all the inner that's like do Kegels, do Kegels. And it is just not the case for everyone. It's you do Kegels if you need to strengthen, but if you don't need it, if, if you're too tight down there, I mean, what have you seen out of women who are too tight, who also do Kegels? What happens? Well, I just, I just see that they have a over recruitment of their muscles. So it, it they can be unyielding sometimes and just make for, um, just makes it can not always, but can make it difficult to have the relax in the descent of the baby. But a lot of times when I'm working with women, we're helping make sure that their pelvis at least is balanced. So their muscles are being used symmetrically because sometimes people have this misalignment and one sign that it's extremely more dominant than the other. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all about, it's really a reconditioning because I think we have the mindset, like if you were to do a lot of Kegels during your pregnancy, you would have an, a really easy birth and a really easy postpartum recovery. But some people who are so tight, like they're going to potentially tear because they're unable to have that relaxation. They're unable to release their, or their body's already clenched so much. Um, I tell people when I work with them that I like to check their jaws, even if they don't tell me they have jaw pain, because I know if people clench their jaw, they're going to be like most likely clenching their butt and most likely going to be contracting their pelvis. And so when it comes to even being in birth, I tell people like store this in your mind for when the day comes, but try to have a relaxed jaw as much as possible when you're in your labor, try to breathe through a loose mouth and not a like <laughs> type of like mm, jaw right, okay. because really it's all about just trying to like release, relax, like oh, surrender. Um, and that, that ability to hold on is most likely comes from a, a need to control and a self-conscious like patterning of just patterning of needing to like bring everything in to be successful, but really a lot of times we should just like drop the shoulders, relax the jaw, relax. Are you talking to me directly? I I feel like you're talking to me directly. I need to let go of a lot of things in my life. Yeah, I need to unclench. I have a good friend who's a pelvic floor physical therapist in Los Angeles, Dr. Grace, and um, I took one of her courses recently for like pelvic considerations for birth workers. And she was talking about her like trademark is butthole breathing. And I hope she doesn't mind me using this, but she was saying, (laughs) Ah. imagine you're just bringing breath to your butthole and just unclench and release and bring some attention there. Cause more often than not, we are just unconsciously squeezing and tighter than we need to be. So hopefully your, your users or not your, rather your listeners take, take the, like, away that, that breathing technique. I think it's helpful and it, it brings a little bit of com- comedy to it, which is also always helpful to, to not take yourself too seriously. 
<laughs> totally, totally. Um, I feel personally spoken to right now. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's move on from the pelvis. Can you talk about at that? That's the only you know. That's like the best ending for that conversation right through your butthole. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Can you talk about uh, how chiropractic care might help if you're having trouble sleeping when you're pregnant, if you're struggling through morning sickness, if you're struggling with back pain and postural, postural issues? Can you speak to how how those can be balanced and, and um, at what point women should come in if they're experiencing problems with those things in any order. With morning sickness and sleep specifically, I'm going to talk about these more as functions of your nervous system. Your nervous system, you can, if there's multiple branches, but for simplicity, we can say you have one side that's your sympathetic Rest, which is your um, stress state or your fight or flight. And on the other side, you have parasympathetic rest and digest. These two parts of your nervous system can't be on at the same time. It's like a teeter-totter. You're either in one or the other. And more often than not, we're on the sympathetic side of things, which is, again, that fight or flight. And it's an evolutionary response for our body just to kind of protect ourselves when we tend to be in a sympathetic state for most of our day, whether that's from work or just deadlines or worry, um, whatever it may be, our body can just kind of default for that being our baseline. When I work with someone and I'm working to help balance and align their spine so that their nervous system can regulate itself more efficiently, we're helping change that balance and change the momentum so that the parasympathetic side of the nervous system can come back online. So what that means is that the body is going to be able to work more efficiently. It won't be as depleted or running on overdrive, so to speak, and allow your body to come to a place where relaxation, repair, digestion, circulation, all of these functions can be improved. So people usually after an adjustment, if they're having trouble sleeping, whether they're pregnant or not, will have a more restful night's sleep because they have their parasympathetic nervous system stimulated. Rest and digest is what the body is wanting to do, and those things will happen more efficiently. When someone is having discomfort with sleeping because of the position of being on your side or the pregnancy pillows or feeling overheated. Um, those are things that through helping make sure that the spine is aligned, that the muscle pull is more even on the body, that tension in the round ligaments and the uterus is removed. They'll generally have more comfort physically while they're sleeping as well but also their nervous system will be more prone to allow them to have a more restful deep night's sleep. I know that's very technical and a lot of stuff. I hope that makes sense. Okay. So let me, let me, let me try to, okay. This is like the really simplified version, but tell me if I'm correct. Okay. The parasympathetic side is it's the stuff that your body does without you thinking about it, without you making it do it. Right. So for example, the pelvic floor is supposed to be able to release on its own as you breathe. Correct. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not muscling it. 
digestion happens on its own, all these things. So when you're in fight or flight, your body is basically freaking out. And then when you're on the other end, your body's doing what it's meant to do on its own and you don't have to think about it. Is that correct? That is correct. But I will say that even when the body is freaking out, it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's just that we have been evolutionarily, we would see a tiger, we would run, we would exert that energy and we would come back to a state of balance. But more often than not, our stimulus, whether it's like our inbox is full, we have to find these items for our registry. We have, you know, a pandemic going on. Like when these stimulus are like there and causing a stressful response for us and we aren't able to kind of turn it off, that's where the body's going to do what it's meant to do. It's just not the appropriate response. Does that make sense? Yes. Because what will happen when the body is in that stress state or sympathetic state is the circulation and all of the blood that would normally be in your digestive organs and your reproductive organs is now being prioritized to go into your arms and legs to help you fight or flight. Mm. And so that's a, that's a natural response of the body. We're not thinking to do that, but it's going to happen either way. So when you get adjusted, when we're able to do things, whether it's breath work, adjustments, meditation, outdoor time, whatever it is to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system to help you come back into that relaxed state, that's going to help bring your blood circulation back to normal. It's going to change your hormone levels. Your eyes won't be as stimulated and dilated. So it's both of them are things that happen automatically, but it's a matter of like what response do we really need to be responding to? Okay. So, you know, bringing the body back into its more Zen state so that we can have a happier, less painful pregnancy. Yes. Bottom line. Yeah. Bottom line. Bottom line. Oh my goodness. Um, and especially in the pandemic, I know that women are not getting the self-care in their pregnancies. There's a lot of pandemic pregnancies among my friends. Yes. And because people aren't seeing their, you know, people are just doing less of everything. So I I know the self-care is probably not happening as much maybe as it could, you know, ideally we would all have a pelvic floor PT in our pregnancy. Ideally we'd all be seeing Cairo and, and, you know, masseuses during this time. So I love that we're talking about it because it brings the important stuff to the, to the top of the conversation. Absolutely. Um, you said lightning crotch before and until I was pregnant, I was like, what the hell is lightning crotch? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it probably still is not that well known. So can you talk about what it is? And I actually just read your uh, Instagram post on it this morning. And I would love for you to repeat some of that stuff because a lot of that was new for me as well. Yes, absolutely. So, um, sometimes when you have someone say they feel lightning crotch, what they're saying is that there was a sharp, often shooting or zinging pain down sometimes into the vagina itself. Maybe it stops at the level of the pubic bone, but, um, Oftentimes they notice it with change of positions, whether it's 
they've been in one position for a long time, like seated, and they go to stand up or they're rolling over in bed. And really what it is, it could be a couple of things. Some people call lightning crotch just round ligament discomfort or tightness. And like we talked about before, those round ligaments have muscle fibers in them. And if they um, are not warmed up, so to speak, and we get up and it kind of just twinges or spasms momentarily, that can shoot that zinging sensation down. So sometimes they could be the round ligament being the aggravator of lightning crotch. Other times it can be the SPD, the symphys pubis dysfunction. And if there's irritation to that joint in the front of the pelvis, um, that can create pain and shooting sensations into the vagina as well. So lightning crotch usually is related to either round ligament twinges, if that muscle is getting too tight or just overstimulated with motion changes, or just even in its growth as it's lengthening and growing with the uterus, sometimes that's where you can feel that zinging sensation. Or it can be from just irritation at the pubic joint itself, which is in proximity to the vagina. Okay. And so if women are 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 balanced and they're getting that support from a Cairo that can lessen the chance of the lightning crotch pain. Yes, absolutely. And for okay. some women, they may need some internal pelvic floor work and I refer out to that, but if it is um, the pubic bone and we can adjust the pubic bone, if we can release the round ligament and if we can do it enough to create stability in those ever-changing joints, then the reduction or elimination of that pain can be expected. Okay. And is it stress-based too, or is it just, it, it happens sometimes when the body's moving and changing so much? I definitely think that stress, if you're referring to it as like mental stress can play a role in how we feel sensation in our body. So I can't rule that out, but I don't think people will often associate it with that, but I do think that that is a component for sure. Okay. Okay. So good to know. It's kind of like it's adding <laughs> when I had lightning crotch pain, it was in my third trimester and I was like, really, I don't have enough things. <laughs> and <happening?"> now this. <laughs> this is like such bullshit. I was like, Oh no, Thank one you so more much. <laughs> thing, you know, I'm not throwing up anymore, but now I have lightning crotch to look forward to. Um, so, and the last thing, one of my aerial students, she had some crazy carpal tunnel stuff happening in her wrists says during her pregnancy. And then afterwards she had so much trouble picking up her baby without pain. She would get numbness in the fingers can you, do you, do you come across a lot of this with the wrists and why? People during their pregnancy experience it is based off of relaxin and increase in circulation. So like we said before, the relaxin hormone aims to loosen and release like all the ligaments in your body. It's not just your ligaments around your pelvis or your ribs. It's every ligament in the body is subjected to the effects of relaxin. So your wrists are not immune to that. Your carpal tunnel is just like it, it's, it's said, it's a, a, a tunnel of these bones that makes an arch. And with the relaxin hormone, those ligaments can be more loose and can allow the bones to kind of drop and create an impingement on that arch. 
that plus the increase of circulation. There's so much more blood in a pregnant body that you're producing more blood. There's more circulation. There could be swelling and it can sometimes mm. be swelled in the hands and in the feet and the wrists and um, or the hands and the wrists and then the feet as well. So with the bone possibly being dropped and decreasing the amount of space for the fluid coming in and out of that tunnel. And then also there being more fluid in general can really create a lot of those carpal tunnel syndromes. Um, I work with women during their pregnancy and help to alleviate that both with working at the level of the wrist and higher up at the level of the neck because the nerves and arteries and veins, they all originate at the neck and they come down into the hand. So if there's something happening at the level of the hand, usually I like to work higher up to make sure that all of that mm. is open and supplied well, but then I'll always check the wrist and make sure that there there's no um, impingement to how that, that tunnel is functioning, that all those bones are aligned well as well. When it comes to postpartum, another common complaint, if they didn't have carpal tunnel during their pregnancy, they may have like mommy wrist or wrist pain during their pregnant or during um, postpartum when they're lifting their baby and holding their baby in different ways, or maybe holding the baby while trying to breastfeed. Um, so different stresses can still happen in postpartum because that relaxant hormone is still in the body several months postpartum and even longer if breastfeeding. So you can still have the same scenarios happen in postpartum and they can still be helped by chiropractic. So let's get into postpartum. So woman has a baby vaginally or via C-section. Tell me what is the next step? So when it comes to the support. Yes. So if, um, if a woman has had birth, if they are, um, having a vaginal birth, it's, I would say it's a little bit different, whether it's at home or in the hospital. Sometimes I will actually, if someone's planning a home birth, I will be there to adjust them during labor and we'll come oh, wow. back within the next day, like next day, next few days to work with mom and baby. If they are coming from the hospital, usually they'll spend a couple of days at the hospital if it's a vaginal birth, and then we'll be back home and I'll ideally work with them within their first week to two weeks postpartum. Um, if they are having a cesarean birth, then it's usually around the two to two and a half week mark that we'll have our first postpartum adjustment. Um, usually it's just okay. up to the mom's comfort level. If I was working with them during their pregnancy and, um, we'll just likely modify our first adjustment postpartum and just be really gentle, but still their body's just gone through so much and it makes sense to have a, just a post-birth adjustment alignment session to help make sure that their body is supporting themselves as they are now going through navigating their recovery and taking care of their newborn. So with postpartum, the goals are similar. Let's make sure your nervous system is functioning well. There's new stresses that you're under with breastfeeding, different positions that you're in, lack of sleep. Um, and so let's just make sure we're helping your body support you through this transition. 
So I work with moms usually anywhere from a couple of days after their birth to within the first two to three weeks for their first session postpartum. And oftentimes I'll also work with the baby at this session and do some gentle work, but we'll save that for another, another podcast episode. Are you, what do you see? What are the types of things that you see in the first, you know, that, that first appointment? Well, usually I'm seeing similar things to what maybe they had going on pre-pregnancy. Um, so if they had a history of lower back pain, then oftentimes after the event of labor itself, we'll be working to see how are these things being managed. So it's really a time to check in, hear how the birth went, how the recovery is going, um, how their how is their pelvis aligned because of all the widening and opening that's just happened, whether it was a vaginal or a cesarean birth, the pelvis has still um, been doing all that work for the last several months, nine or so months. Mm-hmm. So um, really we're making sure that their alignment is still well, that their nervous system is functioning well. Um, I check in to see how breastfeeding is, is feeling, if they are breastfeeding or how pumping is going. Um, sometimes if they tell me that one side of the breast is hurting more than the other, um, it could be because their baby is having um, a difficulty with their latch and will prefer one side than the other. Oftentimes that relates to the baby needing a little bit of work, um, but that can be something that I commonly see um, neck pain, back pain, wrist pain, pelvic pain. Um, and I just check in and see generally how, how they're feeling, how they're recovering. Um, because like we said before, most of the time, unless these parents are under midwifery care, they're likely not seeing their provider for another six weeks. So I'm, I'm working to gauge how these different things are doing. Um, I do offer vaginal steaming plans for my postpartum okay. clients. <laughs> okay, I saw that. I, I am going to go, I am going to go, let me, okay, let me go back before we go into vaginal steaming okay. because I am so interested in that. But when a woman has a vaginal birth, let's just say it's their first and mm-hmm. they're very athletic. Is there a, a common pelvic floor issue or something that happens after a vaginal birth for our first birth or for someone who's super athletic? Is there something that the women in my population should be aware of? Or is it, is it kind of that doesn't, that stuff doesn't matter? No, I, you think know, it's, it, I, I think it does matter, but it's, I don't think there's a, um, a general consensus just because someone's really athletic that they're going to experience X, Y, and Z. I wouldn't say that there, got it. there would be necessarily some type of pelvic floor dysfunction to be aware of. Um, I've worked with a lot of women who are extremely athletic pre-pregnancy during their pregnancy who you know, who do great and they don't have obvious pelvic floor issues. Um, but everyone is just like starting fresh. Everyone's body is different regardless of the activity levels that they do. And so everyone's experience, everyone's birth will be different. So it's always, always a a full assessment at that visit. Okay. Yeah. Even with the same woman, but different pregnancies, it can be. Absolutely so different. I've, I've heard, I only have my one child and I love the quote that you have on your Instagram page. It's something like no one ever talks about the new person you're going to meet after your birth and it's you. Yes. 
Yep. That was like, whoa, that is so deep. <laughs> it's so simple, but it's deep. <laughs> so deep. I'm like, whoa, that is blowing my mind right now. Um, yeah, I love it. So, okay. Vaginal steaming. What the hell is that? And why? And what are the benefits? Um, please, please enlighten us. Love to. So I had certified through Steamy Chick, um, and they have a peri-steam hydrotherapy program where they actually go levels deeper than um, and look at different populations. So the reason why I got interested in t- doing this training was for postpartum support and labor support as well. So vaginal steaming is something that's called V-steaming, Yoni steaming it has a lot of names, but it's been a practice all around the world for generations and generations of people just caring for their health. And um, it was traditionally very frequent to be used postpartum. There are lots of other times in someone's life that they could benefit from doing steaming, vaginal steaming. But um, for this intent and purpose of this conversation, we'll talk about postpartum. So during pregnancy, your uterus is going through a lot of changes and it's also going through a lot of changes as it's coming back to size postpartum. The birth matter and lochia or the blood is being released And for some women, that bleeding can last anywhere from four to six weeks or longer. Um, Depending on how much activity they're doing, it could impact how much bleeding they're doing. But generally speaking, if you're able to do vaginal steaming for a month postpartum, it's a beautiful way to help your uterus have a full cleanse and reset, help everything to that's there to come out more efficiently so that the uterus can be really healthy once the period does return several months to years, a year later, depending on if they're breastfeeding or whatnot. So with the steaming, it's going to help the uterus to come back to its pre-pregnancy size and shape more effectively and more efficiently. It's going to help the like tone and firmness of the vaginal canal, because just like if we were to do a steam for our face or like other parts of our skin, it has a tightening property to it. And so it's similar to what the steam will be doing um, as it's working on the vaginal canal and the uterus. So for some people, they use it to help if they're experiencing um, pelvic organ prolapse or if things are just, you know, feeling maybe out of place. The steaming may not be the only thing that they need to do. There may be more like body work that needs to be done, but steaming is one of the things that can be done to help with that. In general, it's very relaxing. It's a really nice form of self-care, but the goal is really to just help the uterus along in its healing and recovery stage in postpartum. Okay. So can you be really specific? I say, I want my vag, my vag steamed. What exactly? Like I walk into the room. Can you get really specific? Because I can't even imagine right now. Absolutely. So say pre COVID, there were lots of salons and maybe there still are like salons and spas that 
did this. I personally like to get people set up with a home setup because they'll likely be doing this for about a month. So what you can imagine is you get a small pot of water, you bring it to a boil, and then you have specific herbs based off of what, like what we're doing in postpartum. A lot of the herbs are going to be cleansing in nature. So you bring a pot of water to boil, you add the herbs, you let it steep just like it was a tea. And then there's usually special stools or saunas where there is, um, they're made out of wood often. And there's an opening, which you sit over and you just put the pot underneath you. You check the temperature to make sure it's not too hot. And then you just, you know, make sure you're not wearing pants or maybe you're just wearing a dress or a skirt or a robe and you sit over it and you just let the steam kind of come and hit your vagina. And it's very relaxing, um, depending on if you have certain contraindications or sensitivities, you may also have, excuse me, you may also have a portable burner underneath you. And that would just keep the steam going for a longer period of time. Um, some people who have some sensitivities may not be indicated to have that burner, but basically you're just sitting over a stool with a hole in it and allowing the steam to do its, um, do its thing with the, both the medicine of the herbs and the heat and vapor of the steam. And, and how long would you sit there and how many times a week? Usually it'd be anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes, depending on your sensitivities. And in the postpartum phase, we'd like moms to do it in their first month postpartum every day for 30 days, depending on when they start. Um, you can start pretty soon postpartum. You would just want to make sure um, the bleeding has stopped or started to decrease in a certain point. So I do recommend that people work with a practitioner just to you know, guide them along. But you can start within the first two to three days postpartum and start steaming consecutively for a month. And the herbs may be different depending on the individual as well. Oh my goodness. I had, I, I had a C-section and I had postpartum bleeding for eight freaking weeks. Yes. I should have done vaginal steaming. Yes. And, um, after a cesarean, usually we don't start doing steaming until about six weeks just to allow the scar incision to heal so that the steam okay. doesn't irritate that, but still okay. they, they, it likely could have, um, been, been wrapped up a little bit sooner had, had you known at the time. So maybe for round two, Carrie, we can, <laughs> we can be set up. Um, my, if I ever have round two, oh my God, doing this <laughs> podcast, I learned something every recording. I'm like, what the hell is that? And is just, I feel like I'm just going to have that moment for like, there's just so much more to learn. There's just always endless. more to learn. Yes. Endless things. Um, okay. I am just so excited that Dr. Nadia is here. So we, I was planning to talk about baby today, but we are going to have a completely separate episode for baby because this is just, it's just so many things. So to, I guess to wrap up when it comes to postpartum, um, what would you say when it comes to the length of time or or any anything you haven't mentioned yet that I can't imagine. I would just say that a lot of times in postpartum, you know, one of the beautiful things I think about 
pregnancy is that people are more inclined to be active or learn things about themselves. And there's a lot of this like self growth that can happen. And then oftentimes in postpartum, like naturally the focus gets very shifted to your perfect new little baby. But I see a lot of parents and moms specifically who will look like they're in a state of need, but it's like everything for the baby first. And I really think Mm -hmm. that taking this time to care for yourself, nurture yourself, be patient with yourself and to still give yourself that attention, focus and love and care that you need is super important and also very beneficial for your baby, even though, you know, they may only be so many weeks or months old, you modeling that, that importance of self-care and still giving and filling your cup, I think is really profound. Um, and I just hope that even when things seem like they're kind of hitting the fan and you're, you're running on empty that giving back to yourself and taking a little time for yourself will just really be a benefit benefit to all. So I really think that postpartum care, some people are so focused on the pregnancy and just getting to the birth, but I really think that there's a lot of healing that happens in the postpartum period. And that, that's a really beautiful opportunity to, um, to continue what maybe you had started to work on during the pregnancy and not to just kind of hit the brakes, so to speak. Yeah. And that's, that's a struggle. It's a struggle to, for almost every mom I know after that baby comes out, because it's all about taking care of the baby. And then the, the woman gets neglected mentally, physically, all the things. Yeah. So here's a really wonderful reminder. Um, and I am gonna be so excited to talk about baby the next time for my listeners, you guys can find her on Instagram. Her handle is cocoon Cairo. I will include it in the blurb so you can find her easily and follow her because her Instagram is just so, I love the way you do it because it's really easy to absorb the, the tips and pointers you have on there. You do just do a good job of it. And, um, I learned so much just by reading it. So Thank you so much. I'm I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm very excited. Thank you again for having me on your show. And um, I will say you didn't ask me this, Carrie, but I did take an aerial class one time (gasps) right before the pandemic hit. And then I couldn't go back, but that was like the hardest thing I'd ever done. And my ankles were like, what am I even doing here? Being an ankle being locked (laughs) like this. Um, but I have the utmost respect for you and your community and I appreciate being able to share with you and looking forward to, um, joining you again to talk about baby care. I mean, now that you said that, um, I've got a beginner class at five o'clock today. (laughs) You're like, no, thank you. Another time, another time I hope to be there. I'm going to work on you. Don't worry. I'm going to work on it. Um, because, uh, I know you're friends with my friend Jacqueline, who was on this podcast a couple weeks ago and she's one of my students. Jacqueline's the best. Shout out to Jacqueline. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Okay. Um, thank you for being here and we will talk to you next time. Thanks again. You can find Nadia at Cocoon Cairo on Instagram. You can always find me at Carrie at wrapyourheadaroundsilks.com via email. 
please honor me with a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It truly does help other listeners to find me and to find our niche community here on the Expecting Aerialist podcast. Wonderful to have you, and I will see you next time. I'm not